The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio The Voice of an Awakening World Discover a positive path for spiritual living. Welcome to Voices of Unity with Rev. Jackie Fernandez. Welcome to Voices of Unity. I'm your host, Rev. Jackie Fernandez, and we are streaming live from the tower on the sacred grounds of Unity Village. We are into week three of a month of healing, and today I am so pleased to say that I have Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. as my guest. Welcome, Miguel. Good morning, Reverend. How are you? I am wonderful. It is a hot day here in Unity Village. And, uh, you know, I'm just so excited to have you here. I met you two years ago, so if you don't mind, I fangirl a little bit. You were at, speaking at Unity of Omaha, and I was speaking Sunday morning. You were Saturday night. And so some might say we had a gig together. Nice. I, I'm the we only did. one saying that, but... <laughs> Oh, no, we did. I, yeah, I, enjoyed we totally that. did. I joined that course. Yes, awesome. I love it. It was wonderful. And you're just, you know, such an authentic soul. And so oh, I am excited to have you here on the show. And so I want to enlighten our listeners, some who may be new to your work. And of course, I know so many are excited because you are a friend of Unity. Yes. And yes, I, I, I have very fond memories of uh, Unity Village. I actually. Uh, I remember the tower you're in right now. I, I gave a, a, a workshop there several years ago, and I just remembering, you know, between breaks, how much I, I would go out and just look at the view you guys oh, have. Yeah. It's amazing. We got the chance to go all the way to the top of yes. the tower, and I still remember those views. It's quite memorable. And then walking around in the in the lower uh, the the. the the tunnels underneath the oh, village, yeah. you know, yeah. for, for the winter and all that. Oh, yeah. I, I, I was so enthralled by that. I could only imagine how it must be in winter oh, for yeah. everyone walking around down there because it's just so cold to be outside. It but is. It's nice. Oh, yeah. And the courtyard is icy. So, you know, in, in the summertime, of course, we have the fountains on and the rose gardens. But, yeah, in the yeah. in the winter, we certainly take refuge in those tunnels. Yeah, yeah. I, have, I have very good fun memories. I've been there four times, and each time I, I, I enjoy myself. Awesome. But I it's, it's, it's a wonderful place. Well, we need to get you back. I'm going uh, to go back. I'm yes. going to start that petition. Yes, we need to get you back. Um, and so you are a Nagual, a Toltec master of transformation. And uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the Toltec tradition. Um, and you are a direct descendant of the Toltecs of the Eagle Knight lineage and the mm-hmm. son, of course, of Don Miguel Ruiz. And by combining the wisdom of your family's traditions and the knowledge gained from your own personal journey, you help so many people realize their own path to personal freedom. Yeah. yeah That's it's, tremendous it's, work. It's a nice uh, gift and opportunity I've received in my life and blessings. Yeah. And thank you so much for sharing your journey. You know, it's, it's just so evident. Even if you just like look at the titles of your books – it's so evident that that you're really sharing your own heart and soul, you know, um, going from self mastery and you know wisdom to now relationships, and you're kind of you know working with the same foundational ideas, and but really extracting how we can apply them to different facets of of just the human journey. Yeah, uh, you can say that the, uh, all the books, from my father's books to my own books. 
We all deal with the same problem, uh, which is uh, conditional love, domestication, a system of reward and punishment yes. by which we model the behavior of an, of an individual. And we approach in different facets of it. And one of the things I enjoy doing is putting it in a language that is common sense. You know, I, I put it into our everyday language yes. in order to, to so that it can resonate. And it's my own experiences. I, this is how I learned the tradition. I could easily... Uh, say things verbatim the way it was taught to me, but if I do that, then I, I didn't really learn anything. It's just repeating. So I put it in words. This is how it, it impacted my life. This is when I learned it. This is the moment here. This is the moment there. And it's changed because of that. You know, life is my teacher. Yeah. The never-ending teacher. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. the ups and downs, left and rights, and... Everything in between. Yeah. So I, w I would love to hear about the Toltec, Toltec tradition as you have experienced it. And you know, you know I'm going to ask you about your abuelita. Oh, sorry. I only got that last part. Uh, oh. There was something off with the audio. I only got my abuelita. Yeah. Oh, yes. Well, yeah. I just I want, I want to hear about the Toltec tradition as you experienced it growing up. And then, of course, I want to hear about your abuelita. Okay, great. Um well, I was born into a family of healers. Um, growing up, the spiritual teacher was my grandmother. To a certain degree, when people say that I'm following in my father's footsteps, I have to say, no, actually, my father, myself, my brother, and my whole family, we're all following in my grandmother's footsteps. It's, it's her that she had the desire to share the family traditions with the community. So growing up, you know, it was her father who taught her and her great-grandfather, Don Ezequiel, who taught the tradition, but they only taught it to a few select people outside the family, including the family. So my grandmother decided to open up a, a spiritual center in Barrio Logan in San Diego, California, where she would give sermons on Sundays and Thursdays and would do consultations throughout the week and faith healing, of course, and she had patience. So she practiced the tradition in her unique way. Growing up, my father was a neurosurgeon, my mother a dentist, my uncle's an oncologist, my other uncle's a neurologist, my other aunt's a psychologist. There's a lot of doctors in my family. Yeah. So I grew up with the juxtaposition of uh, Western medicine in the form of my father and my uncles and my aunts, and then my grandmother being a spiritual healer, you know, as, 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 as with spirituality and faith healing. And I grew up with science in the house as well as spirituality. I grew up with academics in the house as well as faith. And even with my grandmother, you know, the mixture of Toltec slash Catholicism, mm -hmm. it was both there. You know, so we can say that we are the product of worlds colliding to create a beautiful culture. So my grandmother had this incredible faith in life. And she taught it. So she was my first teacher. You can say that she was the mm -hmm. spiritual leader. Even though she passed away 10 years ago, she's still the spiritual leader of this family. Oh, yeah. in, in that sense, because we love her so much. She lived to be 98 years old. So when I began my apprenticeship, I did it because of love. I love my grandmother. I love my, grand, uh, my father and my grandfather, of course. But like anyone, uh, we, I rebelled against the tradition, just like it's a family tradition. My grandmother rebelled against it too. My father rebelled against it too. We all tried to do it our own unique way. And then life you know, taught us the lessons and also resonated. And that's where my, you can say my father 
had a life-changing experience where he couldn't explain what had happened to him. So he went back to the family tradition. He was already a medical doctor at this point and uh, decided to let go of the medical profession and to dedicate himself completely to the tradition. You know, that's a huge risk, of course. He was about uh, 34 years old at the time, 1986. And when he first started teaching it, he saw that there was a lot of fanaticism around the family, around the tradition, and he decided to begin to clean it up, to teach it in a way that was common language, common sense to anyone who can hear it. And you can say that the secret to the four agreements is that it is written in a language that anyone can understand. It's it's the only thing that the only language that was left that was Toltec was the uh, introduction, the story of the smoky mirror. Mm-hmm. The rest of it is those same teachings, those lessons, but put forth in a way that it can resonate with someone who didn't grow up with that tradition. And that's my father letting go of that superstition and, and embracing the essence of the teachings. So you can say during my apprenticeship, I had that as well. You know, it's like right. watching my father look, uh, with every year of teaching, letting go of stuff, adapting stuff, changing it, turning around. You, know, like, you can say that when I was a kid, he was the shaman. And little by little, he let go of the shaman mantle and he was just a teacher, a don, you can say. Nawal, the word Nawal refers to a spiritual teacher and a spiritual guide, of course, but it's better to, the better explanation of it is through a law of physics. In order for an object to move, there needs to be a force that moves that object. Matter, which is in Nahuatl would be tonal. In order for the tonal to move, there needs to be a Nawal that moves it. Nawal is the energy that animates my body. My body is the tonal. My body is an object, matter. And what moves it is the nawal, the energy that animates it, life. A spiritual teacher or a spirit, soul, uh, intent, God, life, whatever you want to call it, whatever your tradition has taught you, that is what a nawal is. So the teachings that I grew up with when I was young, it was that spirituality I rebelled against it a little bit, and then life happened. You know, the, you graduate college, the bubble burst. <laughs> and I read the four agreements for the very first time because the first, this whole <laughs> second time, the first time I, I read it, I put it down on chapter third, uh, uh, the third chapter, because it was my dad telling me what to do all over again. Oh sure. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, but then I picked it up again after life happened to me, and then I saw it the way other people have seen it throughout, well, since it came out, which is an instrument of healing. And that's all our work is. It's this, all our teachings is instruments of healing. Indeed. And it's, you know, such a common path to take that, you know, that path of rebellion and then, you know, enter into adulthood and realize our parents maybe knew something. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. And, and then we say it on our, on our own unique way, you know, yeah. we, we adapt it and that's how we learn, you know, yeah. we it's, it's, it's about that idea of rebellion and how, um, you know, do you think that that is, I, I think that it is a, like an integral part of the spiritual path, the spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. And and how might you tie that into like the idea of fanaticism and, and superstition, as you mentioned? 
Well, fanaticism and superstition, the way I, I see it is when we get so attached to a belief that we're not willing to question it or give it scrutiny at all. It's, it's, it's when we attach ourselves to something outside of me where knowledge or the corruption of knowledge is so, dis is, is we get, we distort it so much by the attachment with our fanaticism. Fanaticism is just a word that describes that element of us of attachment where we define ourselves by a belief, a concept, an idea, but all these things are not real, they're illusion. And we hold on to it so much that we're, we put blindfolds on. We no longer see the world as is. We even no longer even see humanity as for what it is. We see people as the personification of ideas that either we agree with or not, because we do that with ourselves. We no longer see ourselves as humans. We see ourselves as a concept, an idea, a symbol. And when that happens, well, of course, it's easy to kill and hurt and maim and, and, uh, and well, reject. Yeah. And that to me was what fanaticism does and superstition. But if you are willing to let go of it, you see that life is just phenomenal. You know, life as is, humanity, the, the beauty of it all, it's just incredible. And in order to know yourself is the moment you're willing to let go of the symbol by which you identify yourself with and you know yourself through the experience of being you. So, and I would to give scrutiny, of course. Yes. If it survives scrutiny, then you'll say yes. If it doesn't survive your scrutiny, then you let go of it. Yes. And so do you think it's um, that, that process of rebellion in that, do you, do you think it's a pain point that breaks that down or is it an experience of Inagua? Well, I think it's a human experience. Uh, we all in different ways rebel and, and you know we, we we were born into a world where people love each other conditionally you know we we don't know how to love unconditionally it's it's something that we even corrupt the world the word unconditional love mm. and eventually we don't like it and we try to set rebel against it to separate ourselves but since the only thing we've ever known is conditional love then we corrupt what we rebel with and domesticate ourselves with a whole new image. And now we have to live up to that image. So we're corrupting it over and over again until you realize uh, I just repeated the whole cycle. I just call it a different name. And at that point, we either continue to do it or we let go. It's a moment of clarity, a moment of clarity where you become aware that your rebellion or whatever it was, it was just recreating a cycle that rejected us now mind you there's things of course where we walk away with where we no longer agree with you know that's that's a different form of rebellion right but the rebel uh, the rebellion that we often take on is just like no my way you do it the way i think you should be it's like the the child projecting an image to a father and mother and saying this is how you, i think you should behave and who's who's domesticating who right so at that point it's about understanding, being aware, and having that moment of clarity. It's, it's basically, for me, you can say that when my son was born, I realized that I had no idea what I'm doing. I <laughs> might have read the books, what to expect when you're expecting, and all that kind of thing, but I had no idea what I was doing. And then it, it dawned on me that my parents don't know either. They've been playing it by ear all my life. 
And that's when, like you can say, when that happened is the moment where I saw them as peers, where I took off the mask of mom, I took off the mask of dad, and I saw them as the human beings who are doing the best with what they've got. And all of a sudden I was able to see them for the very first time in my life. You can say at that point my rebellion ended or my illusion ended, and I had compassion for them and understanding. And that's what, what brings a rebellion to an end. Yeah, absolutely. That is a tremendous moment when when it's realizing your own humanity, but then also removing the mask that you've projected onto your parents. Yeah. And we do that all, all throughout, you know, with our friends, with our girlfriends and boyfriends and friends and all these people, we, we're doing it. And when we, we catch ourselves, when we become aware of that, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a life-changing moment. Oh, it is. Absolutely. We, I'm, like, I'm split right now. I want, I want you to talk a little more specifically about domestication, just so our listeners are real clear what you mean by that. And mm-hmm. also, I'm debating asking you, so you decided, about sharing the story of the Smoky Mirrors. I can do both, if that's what awesome. you like. Let's do it. All right. Well, uh, the domestication. Domestication is a system of reward and punishment by which we model the behavior of an individual. If we live up to the expectation, we get a reward. And if we don't get, if we don't live up to the expectation, then we get a punishment. And since we are emotional beings that feel the full spectrum of our emotions, that reward feels like acceptance, which feels like love. And the punishment feels like rejection and the lack thereof of love is the way we've learned conditional love. So let's use myself as an, as an example. Hello, my name is Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. I don't take things personal. I don't make assumptions. I always do my best. <gasps> I forgot the fourth agreement. Oh, no. How can I call myself Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. if I don't know the four agreements? And there's the diatribe of judgment punishing myself for not living up to that image of perfection that is Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. who doesn't take things personal, doesn't make assumptions, is impeccable with his word. And always does his best. If I live up to those four agreements, then I'm worthy of love. But then I forget the fifth agreement. Oh, no. I'm skeptical. <laughs> I learned to listen. And there's the diatribe again because I didn't live up to expectation. At that point, I'm only worthy of love if I live up to that image and that expectation of what a Don Miguel Ruiz Jr., a Toltec master of transformation, is supposed to be. And if he doesn't remember one of those things, the diatribe of judgment, punishing myself. At that moment, I'm not using the four agreements as instruments of transformation. I'm actually using the four agreements as an instrument of, of domestication. The telltale sign that we're domesticating ourselves with the four agreements is judging ourselves for taking things personal, judging ourselves for making an assumption, judging ourselves for not being impeccable with the word, and judging ourselves for not doing our best and not being skeptical, of course. At that moment, we've corrupted the four agreements and turned them into the four conditions of our personal freedom. And I still call them the four agreements because I don't know any better. And that's the way we corrupt a lot of other wonderful traditions. We corrupt uh, Deepak Chopra, Marianne Williamson, Jesus, Buddha, Siddhartha, Muhammad, psychology, psychiatry, alcoholics, anonymous. Yeah, equal corruption. (laughs) Yeah, humanity has created all these beautiful traditions that allows us to embrace unconditional love, but we're so attached to conditional love that we will corrupt all of them, judging ourselves for not living up to that image. That's what conditional love is. 
I love you if, and we do it with our friends. You know, if we live up to expectations, we're cool. And if we're cool, we get, uh, we're rewarded with popularity. And if we don't, we get punished and we will be called a square, a nerd, a geek. And not only will you not be popular, you're going to get ostracized until you get hit with it, man. And then we create our own subcultures and we have the judgments of being called a, a wannabe, a sellout or a poser. You know, that's what we did as teenagers and sometimes into our 20s and even to our 30s and now into our 40s because part of that element of domestication is just getting older and older. And, and we judge ourselves for the way we dress, the way we look in the mirror, the, what we have in our, in our, in our bank. So a good way to describe it, you know, for example, when my father, my father received my son, you know, he, when he was born and he gave him back to me and my wife. And he said, you made a beautiful child. Now domesticate him. What? The author of the four agreements is asking me to domesticate his grandchild. My dad said, yes, figure it out. Cause if you don't domesticate him, someone else will, and you're not going to like it. So since then, I've been trying to figure out a, a way to raise a child without domestication. And now my kids are 14 years old and 12. My answer to that question is that it's impossible to raise a child without domestication because we've corrupted domestication. Domestication is the corruption of the way life teaches us, which is action-reaction. For every action we take or decision we take, there is a reaction, also known as a consequence. So let me put you this example. Let's imagine you're at home, and at home you have electricity. At the end of each month, or somewhere close to the end of the month, you will get a bill that's due at the beginning of the next month. If you pay the electricity, the action of paying your electricity, the consequence will be that you will get electricity. Neither good nor bad nor right or wrong is just a consequence. If you don't pay the electric bill, the consequence is going to be you're not going to have electricity. Neither good nor bad nor right or wrong. It's just a consequence. There's nothing wrong with paying the bill and nothing wrong with not paying the bill. It's just consequence. Which consequence do you want to experience? For example, if one month you only have money to pay electric bill or food and you have to make the choice, well, the choice for me would be the food. And if I want to be able to afford both, then I'll do the effort that allows me to have the consequence where I can afford both. And that's the way it goes. Neither good nor bad nor right or wrong. That's the way life teaches us. It teaches us through the consequences of our choices. Domestication, on the other hand, let's, use the, let's see the, how the corruption of this simple example goes. If you pay the electric bill, then you're a responsible person. You're a stand-up person. You obviously have a job that allows you to pay the electric bill. Thus, I might even lend you money. You're in good standing in my eyes, in my judgment. If you don't pay the electric bill, then you're a bum. You are irresponsible. You obviously don't have a job that allows you to pay the bill. That Therefore, I'm not going to lend you any money. You are not in good standing in my eyes and in my judgment. 
it's similar actions, but there's a difference in the motivator. Yeah. And here in this one, with domestication, if you don't have the money at the end of the month to pay the bill, but you don't want to look bad in front of the people's eyes, then you're going to use your credit card because you can't afford to pay for food and electricity, but you're going to use your credit card. So then you're in deeper hole because now you can't afford food. You can't afford the electricity because now your debt is ballooning. It's, it's, it's sinking. You're drowning all because you don't want to look like a bum in front of someone else's eyes. You don't want to look and you don't want to feel the sting of their judgment. You don't want to feel the burn of the sin of being poor, at least through the eyes of domestication. Right. That's the difference. So the difference between the four agreements in this example is an agreement, the word reflects the action of saying yes to something. There's an instrument that allows you to inform your choice. If you want to take it personal, then you take it personal. If you don't want to take it personal, here's how to do it. You're free to say yes to either one. Unconditional love is the willingness to see yourself for who you are. And the freedom of choice is accepting yourself if you take things personal and you accept yourself if you don't. And since you're aware of it, you make the choice. If you take it personal, you know that's going to come with a hangover that you don't want to experience. So maybe you'll, you will not take it personal because it'll, it feels better. With domestication, on the other hand, you... Don't take it personal only because you want to live up to an, a standard, to a belief or a condition. At that point, you're rejecting yourself. You're pretending to be something you are not. When I was young and people would interview me, they would always ask me, which one of the four agreements was the most difficult one for you to follow? And I always answered, taking things personal or being in with the word. And after a while, I realized why it was difficult. It's because I was pretending to be a man who didn't take things personal, and who was impeccable with his word. I wasn't. Unconditional love is the willingness to accept myself for who I am at this very moment, which means, hello, my name is Miguel Angel Ruiz Jr. And I do take things personal. I do make assumptions. Sometimes I'm not impeccable with my word, and sometimes I don't do my best. Just ask my wife. She is witness. <laughs> it is the moment where I stop pretending to be something I am not. Well, with that, it's time for our break, but we're going to come back and we're going to just keep diving into healthy, happy relationships and, um, and these foundational teachings that you're giving us. We'll be right back. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Voices of Unity with Reverend Jackie Fernandez. And I'm not going to judge myself for it. <laughs> yep, there you go. We are back with Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. And, um, you know, I was just commenting on the break that I, I love the piece that you said about um, the common sense and translating the teachings, you know, into language. Hello, I lost you. Oh, can you, Sorry. Hear, me? Can you hear me now? 
Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, 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 I heard the, the first opening uh, comments and then it went blank. So. Oh, okay. Um, well, I was just saying what I said on the break that I just love that, you know, the translating the teachings into language that is accessible to everyone and and how that is evident through, you know, presenting it through a lived experience that you're you're offering the teachings through your life. And I just that's tremendous. And I think really how we experience um, any kind of spiritual truth is is through one another and and the lives we live. Yeah, is we see each other as reflections. Yes. We, and uh, you know, it, it reminds me of a. I saw this in a Wu Tang Clan documentary. Gressa's mother said to him, uh, "A wise, uh, a smart person, a smart man learns from his mistakes." A wise person learns from the mistakes of others. And those lessons that we learn, you know, yes. we learn from our own mistakes. We learn from the, the, the mistakes of our friends and family and peers. This does exactly what we mirror. We, we yes. mirror each other. We see ourselves in life. And the things that resonate with us are exactly the lessons that impact us. Yes. So I want to hear the story of the Smoky Mirrors. But first, we have a caller on the line. And so I want to hear from her. Let's see, Valerie. Hey yes, hey. hi, Valerie. Hey, I am a, a big fan. I have your books, your father's books, adorn my every bookshelf. And oh, thank I have you. Several copies. <laughs> several hi, Valerie. How are you doing? Comes in. Uh, they will, if anybody shows any interest, I can hand them one and say, oh, read this. It'll change your life. <laughs> oh, thank you. You're so kind. Thank you. Well, and you guys just talked about this a little bit. Um, my question is, I have access to it. I have people around me who are who see this way. And when you read the book, you see truth. You feel truth. How mm -hmm. do you reach the people who are reluctant to read a book or see it as something that is kind of out there? Or um, what are ways that besides you know, we live it, we breathe it, we tell our stories, but what's our next step? What can, how can we reach more people who kind of tend towards the lower uh, common denominator of the human condition, where they fall into the human condition? Do you, is that? Sure. Sure. Well, first, it's, uh, well, first of all, I want to say thank you for uh, reading the books and and your enthusiasm and your your kindness. Thank you so much for that. Um, first is uh, you can say the first step in that is that to accept one great big truth that we only control to the tips of our fingers. We don't control the will of another, and we don't control their perception. They do. To respect each other is to respect each other's yes and no. Their no is just as powerful as their yes. The ability to have that respect because they don't control our will and they don't control our perception, we do. With that in mind, it's, it's learning to see that all relationships exist for as long as we both say yes. If one of us changes that yes into a no, it ceases to exist. So relationships exist because we both say yes, and the things that will exist in our relationships are the things we both say yes to. So in regards to your question, I say this because that's the basis, understanding mutual respect. First, we let go of the concept of lower uh, common denominator or lower, uh, we let go of that judgment because that's how it's corrupted. You know, the, we're, we're, we're creating this image of hierarchy or whatever. That's 
and that's how we corrupt the four agreements into the four conditions. When we see it from that point of view, we look at people, everyone, as people doing the as people who are doing the best with what they've got. Some people, that's the way they've learned. They don't know how to love life in any other way. It's just they learn conditional love because if they ever let go of that, how will they ever know love? And it's something very fearful, something very very stressful. And in this time and age where we're supposed to be incredibly enlightened because information and knowledge is so open, we have the contrast, which is people are now uh, attaching themselves more to their beliefs and ideas more than not because a belief can go away. You know, like, for example, Neil deGrasse Tyson said, the truth exists whether you believe in it or not. It doesn't need humanity for it to exist. Let me add something to that then. A belief only exists for as long as we say yes to it. As soon as we change that yes into a no, a belief ceases to exist. So a belief is just, it needs us. It needs us for it to exist. It needs us to, for it to survive. The truth doesn't need us. The truth exists with or without us. You can almost say that, that black hole out there didn't need to be discovered in order for it to be the truth. It, it, we could have easily continued to believe Einstein and the theory, but people continued to figure out a way. Uh, a, a young uh, 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 scientist, a woman, created an algorithm that allowed us to find, finally find, be able to see a black hole and photograph it. And all of a sudden, the hypothesis and theory of Einstein became fact. It became truth. But that black hole didn't need humanity or tr that truth to be validated. It existed. So from that point of view, our truth, our personal truth, our individual tr truth exists whether people believe it in or not. The way to practice this is to put it in, into our life. For me, if, if I continue talking about what right before the break, I said, hello, my name is Don Miguel Ruiz Jr., and I do take things personal. I do make assumptions. Sometimes I'm not impeccable with my word, and sometimes I don't do my best. It is the moment where I stop pretending to be something I am not, and I accept myself for who I am, and a living being who has the full capacity to go in any direction. From that point, I can go in any direction. Now, my wife, um, domestication would be this. Honey, you're Mrs. Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. Here's the four agreements. Read it. Honey, you didn't read the book. You're taking things personal. Oh, honey, you're making assumptions. How embarrassing. I only hang out with people who are impeccable with their own word. Hmm. At that moment, I'm actually practicing the four conditions because whenever I judge someone, I'm punishing them for agreements they never made, but I'm forcing them to make the agreement through the punishment. That's where domestication comes in. Sometimes we can't tell the difference. And that example of the electricity is, right. a, a, is a way, it's, it's essential because to know the difference between action, reaction, and domestication is really important because once we're able to see the corruption in our own life, in our own experience, and we begin to heal that, to, to let go of the four conditions and practice the four agreements, or in this case, to pay the electric bill because we want to, because we want the, conse the, the consequence of having electricity versus 
paying it because I don't want to look bad in front of people's eyes, knowing that subtle difference is very important. When we have that understanding of it, when we practice it with other people, it'll be different because someone will be more willing to read the book if it's shared as opposed to imposed. To know the difference between the four conditions and sharing the four conditions and sharing the four agreements because we practice it. So it goes back down to the self. I practice either conditional love or unconditional love. To be impeccable with my word is to know that a word is an empty symbol whose definition is subject to agreement, which means to be impeccable with the word is to be impeccable with yourself, with to be impeccable with my intent because it's my intent who gives power to my words. And I can use my word to domesticate myself and others, or I can use my word to heal and liberate myself and others from that point of view. That's the difference. So there's people in our life that won't, you know, and, you know, we all have it. My father has it. I have it. You know, you can say that there's people, for example, my, uh, I was talking to my uncle some like 12 years ago, and it was the first conversation I was having with him that where I, he was talking to me as an adult as, rather than a young teenager, which for me was good. Me and my wife were talking with my uncle and my aunt, and my uncle was, we're talking about relationships, and he eventually says, Miguel, there's a great book about, that will help you with relationships. It's called The Four Agreements. Read it. But here's the thing. <laughs> Don't awesome. listen to your father. Now, here's the thing. When he, my uncle said that to me, don't listen to your father. Well, in my case, my father happens to be the author of The Four mm -hmm. Agreements. The reason why that happened is that my uncle still sees my father as Dr. Miguel Ruiz. Mm -hmm. You know, the man before all the work he done, he's done. And... <laughs> And that's going to happen. Sometimes people will see what they want to see. Sometimes we'll do the work and they'll be willing to see it. And sometimes they won't. There are people in our life that we see in that way and some people who don't. The best way to share the four agreements is to first to practice it, to put it into practice, to let, to let go of domesticating ourselves with it and learning to put into practice as the four agreements, not the four conditions. Once we have that in our life, we're able to share that difference with other people. And we'll find that it's going to be a lot easier to share from that point of view rather than a condition. Because when you offer the four agreements or the four conditions in this example, people will rebel against it. Because no one likes to be imposed upon or subjugated by a judgment but when we're able to see it in our own life and know the difference in our own life when we share it it's not a you have to it's like take it or leave it here it is and that's how my father and i teach when i teach i know i'm teaching with permission because people gave me permission and if it resonates they'll accept it and if it doesn't resonate it won't and that's that's how i've learned i teach with people's permission because they gave me permission to share this knowledge with them. If they didn't give me that permission, all, all that I'm saying won't, won't go anywhere. And that's the key 
to always know that difference. So the way we go forth, you can say, to share with our beloveds, our friends, is not necessarily by preaching it to them or sharing with conditions, but live, living it. And if they ask, share it. And that's it. You know, I, 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 in my life, it's been a nice experience when ex-girlfriends of mine have come up to me and said, Miguel, you look so happy. How did you do it? It, it feels good because they're asking me. Have friends, mm. it's 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 a it's a nice thing because if I shared it with you, know, for example, my wife tells me this, and I love this is the reason why she's my wife. Miguel, <laughs> you're my <laughs> husband, not my teacher, mm. and I love that. It, it reminds me that I teach with her permission. The times when I share it with these teachings with her is because she gives me permission by asking me. She grew up Mormon. I grew up Catholic slash Toltec. In my house, all, all of it goes. You know, we teach the best of everything to our kids, and we let go of the stuff that we don't agree with. And that's where we find peace, the mutual respect for one another, the thing that allows us to have compassion for one another, and realizing that, you know, they're doing the best with what they've got. They've, they're only sharing how they've known to share love. And sometimes it's conditional. And if we try to remove it by force, they'll only hold on to it more. But if they see that the work has really impacted your life, that they enjoy conversations with you, that they enjoy talking with you, the lessons that you've learned will go much deeper because it resonates with them in their life and they'll ask mm -hmm. and you'll share your aha moments with them. And that's when oh, it really you. kicks in. Yeah. Boy, thank you for framing that in a really wonderful and personal way. I appreciate that. Oh, thank you're welcome. You. Thank you. It's, 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 it's the way I learned this because I, I grew up, I, I, the four conditions, I started teaching that because I realized that I was corrupting my father's work for all those years. And when I understood it myself, that's when I began to share it and realizing I'm not the only one who's corrupting the four agreements. There's probably so many other people. That's why I enjoy <laughs> teaching the concept of the four conditions in contrast to the four agreements. It's, it's how I learned. That's beautiful. Yeah. And thank you for that's that question, cool. thank Valerie. You. Thank you. It's really a beautiful segue into your, your book, The Seven Secrets to Healthy, Happy Relationships. The, one of the secrets, if I can give your secrets away, is the secret of healing. And what we're talking, what you've been talking about is is in, in that chapter where you talk about how we punish ourselves through and each other, really, through relationships and domestication mm -hmm. and judgment, and which leads to shame and blame. And then you talk about parallel and opposite behavior. And then you present the healing process in terms of perceptions and forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Talk to us well, about And it that. ties in well with uh, your earlier request about talking about the smoking mirror. Yes, you know, the, yes. The smoking mirror saw himself for the very first time in a reflection of water beneath in a cave that now stands uh, below the Pyramid of the Sun in Teotihuacan, according to, to folklore. He saw himself that there was... There's all this smoke that didn't allow him to see who he was. 
and that smoke prevented him from seeing life as is. In that moment of clarity, he saw himself and he was one with the stars. So he changed his name to the smoking mirror. I'm, 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 I'm shortening it here. Yeah, yeah. Reminding himself that there is a smoke that doesn't let us see beyond the tips of our nose. And that smoke is our beliefs, our ideas, our conditions, our imposed identity. It's, it's these things. Healing, the, the, the fourth secret, to me, is the essential. We heal with our own permission. Um, when Heather Ash asked me to help with this project, I just finished a very big journey in my life, which is healing my relationship with my ex-girlfriend, my very first love, my first love from high school. And we, we, what happened is that I asked for forgiveness for the very first time in my life, not from the point of view of an ex-boyfriend that tries to hook up with your ex-girlfriend. It's mm -hmm. from someone who sees it from her point of view. I talked to her one day. We, we became friends again, thanks to social media. And I saw it from her point of view. You know, all the, all the work I've done in my life, I applied it. And when I got, life gave me the chance, because she gave me the chance, I was open about it and I said, I see it from your point of view and I totally understand it. And I asked for forgiveness. I'm sorry, I apologized. I didn't ask for forgiveness, I apologized. You see, guilt is punishing yourself over and over again for something you wanted to do. And if life gives you the opportunity of doing it again, you would do it again. Remorse, on the other hand, is seeing the actions of what you've done and seeing the consequences and seeing how it impacted. And if life were to give it again, you wouldn't do it because you know the consequences are not worth it. So aside from her point of view, you can say it was the first time in my life that I heard her, and I apologized. I lowered my guard, and I simply apologized. And to my surprise, she forgave me, and then she lowered her guard and she owned up to a lot of her side. We both let go of so much poison, so much so that in the end of that conversation, she said to me how much she used to love me. And the 18-year-old version of me was so happy to hear that. But we both said it. It was such a relief. It required effort. Life is worth the effort. My dear friend Kirk says, is the juice worth the squeeze? Mm -hmm. Which to me translates... Is the consequence worth the effort? Yeah. My answer is yes. We heal with our own permission. Now, this goes to a different story. A young mother gave me a ride from Wimberley, Texas to San Antonio, Texas several years ago. And she was sharing with me her life. And she was actually telling me my worst nightmare, which is her son had died earlier that mm -hmm. year. And then she, out of a sudden, she began to berate herself. She kept, she kept saying, what kind of mother am I? What kind of mother heals from the death of her own son? Here I am living my life, and my son died. Now, mind you, I was doing my very best to make her feel better, but I know that it was going on deaf ears, but that taught me a lesson. Life heals us with time and effort, which is nourishment. But in her case, she didn't give herself permission to heal because it didn't live up to that image of what a mother should supposed to be. It's kind of like this. If you have a wound in your arm 
that blood, if you give it a little bit of nourishment, clean it up and things like that, little by little, a scab will grow and it'll, it'll cover the whole wound. Mm -hmm. If you leave it alone, the scab will do its job and little by little, it'll get smaller and smaller and smaller until it falls off, showing new skin. You gave your arm a skin permission to heal. But imagine that scab grows and you scratch at it, scratch, scratch, scratch until it falls off and it bleeds again. And you say, see, I didn't heal here. I am bleeding. At that moment, you didn't give your body permission to heal because you scratched it. Well, here's the thing. Our emotional body is exactly the same way. It heals with time and care, that effort. It, if we allow our life to happen, we will heal from those wounds. But if we don't give ourselves permission, meaning that we keep scratching at it over and over, never letting that scab to set in, it will bleed. And, it, and here's the thing, we'll think this, it's the original wound, but it's not. We hurt ourselves over and over again. To give ourselves the permission to heal is what changes our life forever. To let go of uh, uh, that image that stops us from healing. In this case, in the image I shared, it was the mother. In my case, it, the image of the Mexican-American that's supposed to be macho. Mm -hmm. That image stopped me from healing for many, many years. And the same thing with many people, with soldiers, with firefighters, with first responders, with uh, uh, fathers and mothers and children and whatever excuse we have. Those things can get in the way of our healing. But if we accept ourselves, you know, like a soldier that accepts that it, he or she has PTSD, that moment of clarity is the moment that we decide to give ourselves the permission to heal. It's the willingness to see it and to take the steps and find the method that resonates with us that allows us to heal. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I love how you, you categorize time and effort as nourishment. Yeah, because that's how life is. It's, yeah. it's life heals us. If we, if we allow it time and space, we all heal. The past only exists because we keep holding on to it and we keep using it to and like a scorpion that stings itself over and over again with its own stinger and what we're injecting is our own emotional poison over and over again never giving ourselves a permission to heal it reminds me of what eleanor roosevelt said no one can make me feel inferior without my consent mm, yeah the way we give consent is by continuing to believe so it's, easy, it's understandable that it's something tragic in life happens that it hurts. You know, the PTSD is, the fear is real, the pain is real, but what triggers it is not real. And if we give ourselves the, the, the moment to heal from it, to let go of it, to no longer be identified by that moment, we will give each, ourselves time to heal. For example, if we let... If I, in my personal life, I let the image of I should not be friends with my ex-girlfriend, then I'll never heal that. And the person who will suffer from that is not just me, but my beloved. But if I take the effort, and mind you, I'm grateful to my wife because she had required some trust in her for me to talk to my ex-girlfriend, to my first love. Mm -hmm. And mind you, she and, and uh, they're friends now. They're, my, my wife is friends with a lot of my ex-girlfriends. And our kids play. 
the people who benefit, the person who benefits from healing those past relationships is exactly my wife because that wound is no longer there to contaminate my present. Right. It's no longer there to infect my present. That's such an important realization that, that the pain is real, but the trigger is not. Yes. So we can start to separate that. Yes. And then we can enter understanding. And mm-hmm. then that leads to that release and, and forgiveness of self, you know, the release of the condition of the judgments that we place on ourselves and others. And, and that brings us into that place that you're talking about, that place of peace. And it impacts not just you, but those around you, those you love and those we are in relationship with. And it allows for intimacy to happen, yes. to, to enjoy, which leads us to this, the next secret, which is joy. When we are able to heal those wounds, we open up so much so that we allow people into our life we, because we're no longer afraid of pain because we healed it. And that's when we grow and enjoy intimacy. My wife, she's not my best friend. She's my wife. And what I mean by that, out of 7.5 billion human beings living life at this very moment, she is the one person with whom I am completely open with to such degree that, well, we go much more than a, a best friend. Yeah. That's yeah. beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your heart, your soul, your journey. And, um, of course, check out Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. book, The Seven Secrets to Healthy, Happy Relationships. And until next week, when we're back with Reverend Masando Hiroka from Mile High Church in Denver, step into the flow of love with yourself, your beloved, your family, and with life itself. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world. I'm Laura Worcester, host of the Intuitive Life Podcast. As an intuitive medium and teacher working with the world of spirit, I love to share the peace that comes with the awareness that our departed loved ones are still with us. And I also love to help people explore what it means to live an intuitively led life. Start listening now on mindbodyspirit.fm or wherever you get your podcasts.